It is Canucks Talk. I'm Jamie Dodd. I'm back after a week off working with Jason Bruff on the morning show. I'm back where I belong here on Canucks Talk. We're glad to have you back. With my guy, Thomas Trance. Josh did a great job. Canucks insider who also covers the team at The Athletic. Josh did a great job, but we missed you, man. very talented young broadcaster. Genuinely missed you. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm I'm very excited to be back. Um, I was only gone for a week. And the Canucks are like, still in first place, all that, still having a great season. A lot happened uh, in the week mm-hmm. that I was gone. And we can get into some of it and, of course, what happened over the weekend, because also a lot happened over the weekend. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your thoughts, questions in now. Uh, Kevin Woodley, our guy from NHL.com in Goal Magazine, will join us at 1 o'clock. Always a pleasure to chat with Woodley. Uh, But we got a lot to get into today, so let's get right into the whiteboard. All right, now, fellas, hey, let's focus up, huh? It is your daily deep dive into what's up with the Canucks for today, February 26th. We'll start with the headlines, and we'll start on the ice. There's stuff happening off the ice. There's reports out there that we'll get to in the uh, in the broadsheet section of this, but we'll start on the ice, which is... Well, I think there's a way to tie it together. Yeah, we can, can tie I, it together, can but I, I want... I, hold on. I want let, to talk let about let the game first. All right, okay. Let me take a okay. shot at tying it together, because right. I think... Big picture. Yes. There's a funny contrast here, which is that on the ice, as the Canucks broke a four-game win streak in Mm -hmm. dramatic fashion. Losing streak, but yeah. What did I say? Win streak. (laughs) Goodness. Broke a four-game losing Losing streak. streak. Yes. With a dramatic come-from-behind victory over Jeremy Swayman and the Boston Bruins on Saturday night. It was all about JT Miller. Three points. Uh, what, 12 of 18 in the circle, mm-hmm. eight hits. Rick Tockett saying he willed them to victory after the game. And it felt like just this statement, alpha performance from a player who's having you know, a very good year, a, a tremendous year, but especially has been, you know, at a different level even since the All-Star break, right? Yeah, I mean, he's producing. He And I think it was most noticeable because the rest of the team flagged a little bit during that stretch. Right. Right? So, and But he was still standing out, making things happen, being productive out there in a way that other guys weren't. Yeah. Well, but also in terms of the results, just pure results, mm-hmm. right? Because the underlying numbers, all that stuff, whatever. It's all good. It's all been good. Don't get me wrong. But the raw numbers on, on Miller in terms of the goals scored, um, you know, like... The Canucks have outscored their opposition by a massive margin with him on the uh, uh, t- by 10 goals. 10 goals since they came back from the All-Star break at 5-on-5. Mm-hmm. Five five. Plus 10 with Miller on the ice. That's ludicrous, man. Like, th- they've actually only been 500 over those 11 games. Wh- wh- where would they be without that? Where would they be without those minutes? Mm-hmm. So there's this alpha statement, emphatic performance for Miller, and it's contrasted by what we saw during intermission on Saturday night, which was a report from Elliot Friedman saying that teams are, and we'll get more into this in the yep. broadsheet, but teams are calling about Elias Pettersson, who remains unsigned, and then a wash of reporting and speculation today, which we'll get into in the broadsheet. That contrast 
the rise of of emotional leader JT Miller with the continued doubt and speculation around Elias Pettersson, to me, it feels like that's one headline. Yeah, the I don't want to tie those together necessarily because it's not as if they have to come at it's not as if they, one they, can only happen with the other. No, they don't you know have I mean? to be in opposition. They don't have to be connected. No, but I think to, for the experience of Canucks fans and the conversation, mm. I do think they are. They are connected for a lot of fans. I think yeah. that's 100% correct, but it's not as if JT's Miller, to me, JT Miller's performance, what he is or isn't doing, doesn't change how the team is going to approach Elias Patterson. We don't need to you know layer I mean? artificially like an adversarial component no. to it. But, uh, you know, I do think there was this... For me, anyway, watching the game this weekend, that that certainly was part of it. In addition to sort of admiring the Canucks' composure and you know noticing that. So, backing away from this yep. tied together point, the game against the Bruins mm-hmm. for fifty minutes, I actually thought it looked like my biggest concern about what this team could look like if things don't go well down the stretch and into the playoffs, which is lots of shots, very few chances. Mm. Right, like feeling like the offense is going to be really hard to come by. That's my that that remains. I I know it has almost no relationship with their results to this point in the season, but you know the the amount of zone time that this team sometimes generates, and and a lot of it resulting in outside shots. And you know if they're not getting the deflections, if they're not getting the layered screen goals, if they're not getting you know some of that messy stuff in the blue paint or or scoring um, off the rush. You know, unscreened wrist shot goals, which this team might have 15 of. You know, I, I worry a little bit about their ability to generate offense. That's that's sort of been uh, at five on five. That's sort of been my primary concern. Now, even over this losing streak, it's been more about special teams. It's been yep. more about other stuff. And see, I actually thought even the first part of this game, it actually reminded me a lot of the Jets and the Avalanche game. Yeah. Where it was totally like, these fair. are two really good teams playing a tight checking defense mostly defensive game not a ton of great a scoring chances either way and the funny thing was you know as much angst as there was about that four game losing streak two of the games the jets and the avalanche game i came away thinking more highly of the canucks playoff chances because they went toe-to-toe with those teams in a really i thought in a really impressive way i thought they played well in those games but i i didn't come out of it thinking more highly of the team well I, let's put it this way and, i didn't and, i didn't come out thinking like oh they'd be screwed in a series against one of those teams. no 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 Zero, no way not. Absolutely not, but I do think that those teams did kind of show that if you can move the puck really effectively. Now, granted, you have that's one of the hardest things to do: mm-hmm. move the puck as a team really effectively. I think they gave us sort of a template of what a, a real like a, a team with real steel can, how they can play the Canucks and how it can work. Um, but the Bruins game, like afterwards, it felt like the conversation was the Canucks controlled play all night. They weren't like generating grade A's at wills at will and getting no, it was robbed a, by Swayman. It was, it was a really tight defensive game. They were they were on the outside for fifty minutes, and then all of a sudden they started to get some traffic and mm-hmm. uh, you know scored off a set play, scored off a point shot, and boom! Uh, taking nothing away from a really strong Canucks performance overall, I actually thought for fifty minutes it looked like what my fear is about this team's continued limitations, which is can they generate enough scoring chances? Like fundamentally against these best teams, can they generate enough um, really high quality looks from like mid-range down low? And then they just really took it over and actually started to get chances and and were able to take Swayman's eyes and Swayman didn't even see the heroic point blast. No. You know, awesome stuff. 
No, it, and it was – I think it was a really important – as much as, you know, the team is still in first place. They're still – we're in a very comfortable position despite the four-game losing streak. You're down 2 nothing in the third period against the freaking Bruins of all teams on Saturday. Yeah, when you've now played 100 minutes against them this and season scored, scoring. And it's like, like – that was just a really important period for yes. the team and for the fans, I think, more than anything, to have that incredibly positive moment. Uh, you know, right the ship, do it against the Bruins, all of those things, the talking point of, oh, they never show up in big games against good teams, which, again, was another part of what I thought was ridiculous. I don't like that It's talking like they point. did show up against the Jets. They did show up against the Avs. They didn't win. But they showed up and they played really well. Anyways, they actually won this one. Uh, so a huge deal there for them to snap that four-game losing streak. Getting the comeback win in overtime. Brock Besser with two goals, including the OT winner. As you said, JT Miller with three points as well. And the one thing that did concern me most about the four-game losing streak, and it came to the forefront after that Seattle game with the uh, the scorching commentary from Rick Tockett, was his concerns about the composure of the team, right? And when things do start to go against them, are they able to arrest that? Are they able to turn it around? So it holds a lot of weight for me that talk it was explicitly saying after the game, I was really impressed with the composure. That's the type of composure. That's the type of mentality that I want to see. They have to keep doing it. Obviously, they're going to be tested again and again on that as the season goes on, as you get to the playoffs. But not just to get the win, but also to kind of answer the questions immediately that the coach had raised about your composure, I think was a big deal for the team on Saturday. Yeah, no question. And and sounds like it was a pretty explicit discussion about mindset that mm. Rick Tockett hadn't been happy about the way that they'd been maybe sort of unfocused complaining about calls, right? That that some of the breaks that had gone against them had deflated the bench, right? He kept talking post game. It was a great bench. Really liked the re reaction mm -hmm. on the bench. Um, you know, that that side of it, the the idea and talk, it's talked about a lot, the idea of the way you sort of the, your comportment in terms of handling things, how you have to behave if you're going to win in the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I think he thought that part of their game lacked over the course of the past week. I think that's why he was frustrated in Seattle, despite it being very clear that that was a tired performance mm -hmm. from the Canucks. You know, he was. But like, you can be tired and maintain your composure. We, you, we can be tired and we still, like, that's not an excuse for giving up a, a goal off that offensive zone draw the way yep. we did uh, to make it 4 2 and effectively seal their fate. We didn't play smart, right? Um, I thought that was a clear part, a uh, clear point of emphasis. Talk it talked about it. Myers talked about it post game uh, and, and, and a test that the Canucks passed. Which is lovely. Yeah. Uh, that's a big one for them. All right. Let's move on to uh, the broadsheet portion, which, of course, dominating a lot of the Canucks discussion today coming out of the weekend. As you mentioned, Elliot Friedman on Hockey Night in Canada mentioning that teams are calling on Elias Pat Pettersson, asking what's going on. Canucks are saying that they're trying to sign him. That's their goal. Uh, Friedman also says, you know, the Canucks don't want to comment because there's too much noise on the situation right now. Now, Friedman had some other things to say about this, also some other reports about what the Canucks might do uh, ahead of the deadline. But I did want to play uh, a clip from our pal Rick Dollywall uh, on his show with uh, Donnie and Dolly on Czech TV today, reacting to this report from Friedman, kind of passing along the latest about what he's hearing on Elias Patterson. Here's Rick Dollywall. It's become a distraction now for the Canucks. I, I, that's the only way I can say it. And and Donnie, they're willing to talk and throw a lot of money at Patterson, but uh, they don't have a willing participant to talk contract with. That's the bottom line. 
And the Canucks have to protect themselves. They can't go through this again next year, folks. They can't. They cannot go through this next year when it will be 10 times worse because he's a UFA. He's an RFA now. Mm. Um, Teams are calling because the future is unknown for Pedersen. Canucks are not getting any indication from Pedersen that he wants to be here long term. There's frustration there. Uh, I still have no intel that he wants out. Up till now, I've always thought Pedersen would sign, but I'm not so sure now. Uh, Vancouver's got to do their homework here, Donnie, when it comes to a trade. they got to do the homework. I don't see a trade in the next two weeks, but if it doesn't get resolved in the summer, obviously if uh, he's not here long term, it could, it could end up gearing that way. So there's a lot in there, I think, from Rick Dollywell. Yeah, there is a lot in there. Now, I know this is your favorite conversation point, the uh, what's going on with the Pedersen contract negotiations. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's it's like, I agree. I, I agree with you in theory that you're right. We're not getting real updates. But that's a big story, too, that there is no movement, that it <laughs> remains the same the farther we go on into the season. For sure. It's just it, it really does feel like um, one of those things where it's like still nothing, still nothing. <laughs> Still nothing but with spice, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's. Uh, I did think the well, and the one re- one of the reasons I wanted to play that. And look, we had to get we, you know, we you cannot ignore when Elliot Friedman is bringing it up on Hockey Night in Canada intermissions. It's on the Thirty Two Thoughts podcast when there's all this reporting around it. You cannot ignore uh, the Elias Pettersson discussion. I just thought it was very striking, and I I am curious. And text in 650-650 how many of our listeners that this might mirror to hear Dolly Wall say, I've always just kind of thought he would sign and now I'm not so sure. I, I think that struck me because we know how plugged in uh, Rick Dolly Wall is in this market. Well, I also thought the – so for me, it's more the distraction part that stands out to me because mm. Dolly Wall wouldn't be saying that without good reason, without cause. And from my perspective, you know, this comes from the national side, right? This, the, there's – a lot of national reporting around Pedersen. He's not asked about it every day. One thing I've sort of mentioned is I actually am shocked by how little this appears to have been a distraction from a from a local media conversation driver mm-hmm. over the course of the season. Occasionally it's cropped up. We've discussed it. But most of the time, those rumblings have come from without the city, without the market. It's not local media hounding him on a daily basis, no matter what sort of image fans have of the the you know yeah dastardly Vancouver media pools uh spinning our mustaches the so for him to note that it's a distraction now to me makes me wonder if that's how the team's beginning to feel about the fact that you're about to enter this like all-in phase mm-hmm. you know with maybe a guy who you don't feel or at least you worry about being all in with your group long term which isn't to say that that should be a concern for the next five months. You know, at the end of the day, if you're going to get, if you're going to win a Stanley Cup, it's going to be very hard to get more value than Pedersen can bring you, oh, yeah. given your positioning right now. Here's the other thing that I thought was interesting from headlines on Hockey Night in Canada, right? So Friedman reported there that other teams are calling the Canucks to ask if Pedersen's available. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think the. Like that's that's obviously the part that captures people's attention. And and I also think in part because on the insider translator, like if you plug insider to English on Google Translate, uh-huh. right? Teams are calling about usually means this player's this team's open to move this player. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> Teams are calling about yeah. guy they clearly want to trade. It's like a classic polite way. Now, I think I think Friedman. But I don't think that's the case. Well, and I was going to say, because I think on 32 Thoughts, and we might play the clip uh, at some point, just because I do, I do think people need to hear how pregnant the pauses are in Elliot Friedman's <laughs> discussion on this. Like, he is. Friedman chooses his words carefully Very all the carefully. time. This is like, oh, boy. But he makes the really good point, and this was one of my first reactions as well. Like, yeah, if I was a general manager, I'd be I'd call the Canucks, be like, course. hey, what's going on? Of course. <laughs> of course you are. Like, if there's a sliver of a percent of a chance that this guy's available, you're gonna pick up the phone and make that call. Well, and we can get into some hypotheticals in a bit, but the the so usually when we hear teams are calling, I think we are conditioned to know Pavlov style. Mm-hmm. Um Pavlov, the the scientist, not the uh not the like latest high scoring KHL free agent. Uh, that that like that player could move, you know, like that's a player that the team's at least open to talking about. And I think this case is different. I also think the meat of what Friedman actually said was the Canucks are re- replying to teams that they are trying to sign him, and that's our goal. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty uncertain place to be. Well, and then and part of the follow up in Thirty Two Thoughts was. The uncertainty, there is uncertainty. We heard that from Rick Dollywall. There's uncertainty here, right? And I think it's impossible to look at this fact pattern and con- con- conclude anything else. There is obviously a significant degree of uncertainty. Now, that doesn't mean the writing is on the wall for an exit here, right? Because, you know, when people text this in all the time, look, Pedersen said he wants to wait until after the season uh, to make a decision. And it could very much be the case that Pedersen has just not taken the time, sat down and thought, what do I want to do with my future? And that after the season, he'll do that and conclude, I want to sign with the Vancouver Canucks. That is extremely, extremely in play here. But that creates this situation with a ton of uncertainty. And it's that uncertainty that attracts conversation around it, right? Attracts speculation and attracts other teams to call. They're like, hey, if there's uncertainty, we got to try to figure out what's going on here. We got to see if there's anything that we can do to improve our team. If there's a Again, like if Pedersen is actually ever on the market available, that is a, I don't want to say completely unique, but like go back, find the last time a player like that moved. Matthew Chuck. Yeah. Pedersen is center. I think it's, I think he's, I, I, mean, I think I, it's a bigger deal. Even than Matthew Kachuk moving. In, in both cases, you're talking about a guy who's a one of one, mm-hmm. right? A one of one who, you know, in Kachuk's case was coming off a hundred point season. I mean, you're talking about the best of the best, mid twenties, third contract guy, and there's no one else like them, right? In Kachuk's case, it was, hey, good luck finding another super consistent hundred point power forward, right? They're mm-hmm. one of one. He's the only one that, that, that is that guy. And Pedersen, likewise, good luck finding another. 100.40 goal centerman under the age of 27. There's one of one. It's Petey, and eventually Jack Hughes will join him. But that's it. So, you know, I, I, for me, those guys, those those two are analogous, and that was huge. Like, that was a huge return. It didn't go well for Calgary, but it was a huge return. I mean, the second leading scorer was part of the return. The NHL's second leading scorer mm-hmm. was like one of one the part. three major pieces or – well, you know, I guess there were four major pieces that the Flames acquired uh, in trading Kachuk. So, just to give you an idea, yes, we don't see a, we don't see stuff like this that often. Yeah, but when we do, it's a big deal. It's usually a guy who's coming off a bridge. <laughs> just gonna just gonna go ahead and say that for all the uh, 
<laughs> for all the look, that's that's you a, shouldn't go long on second contracts. It, it's a big part of the conversation here. It's a very big part of the conversation here. A, um, a bridge has to lead somewhere. Look, we're going to talk more about Elias Patterson uh, at some point in this show, but uh, and, <laughs> well, I can confidently predict that because uh, there's lots of text coming in. There's uh, you know people texting about different teams, about how things could play out, so we can get into some of those possibilities Good later God. on in the show. But we'll. Uh, can we just can we to to bring things back to normal and then we'll yep. run through the whiteboard? I do think it's worth noting that the, on the Thirty Two Thoughts podcast, bigger picture beyond the Patterson story, mm-hmm. um, Friedman noted that you know he doesn't think the Canucks would be interested in making another huge trade for a rental. Yep. Unless it's a guy they think they can resign. And I thought that was very striking, specifically him framing it like if they have to give up another package similar to Lindholm only for a guy they could resign. Yeah. Very, very different, significantly different than they're not interested in doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like that sounds to me very much on the table still, potentially. Oh yeah, no question. And uh you know, unless it's a guy they can unless it's a guy with term or unless it's a guy they can resign. Tanev <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. That's, yeah. a, that's how everyone talks about Chris Tanev. We talk about like hypothetical deals where there's only one guy who makes sense, and it's Chris Tanev. Like, you know, if they could just go out and get like a veteran, right shot, really reliable defensive defenseman with that, long that hair, maybe they want to resign. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you mean Chris Tanev? Yeah. <laughs> or somebody, you know, whoever. Chris T. No, no, no. That's too obvious. <laughs> C. Tanev. Uh, anyway, so uh, there's, yeah, that report I thought was interesting. I know there's some other reports out there too about what the Canucks might be looking at at the trade deadline. So we can park those for later on in the show uh quickly through the rest of the whiteboard here lineup notes day off today uh of course new look forward lines in the bruins game and uh, arshdie baines you know still a member of the top nine throughout that game played legitimate third line minutes on saturday i thought that lindholm garland baines line was pretty effective uh for most of the game so i think arshdie baines status is going to be really fascinating to monitor here he's gotten some very uh, effusive praise from the head coach Rick Tockett, which is always a really good sign. So again, we can talk a little bit more about that as the show goes on. But uh, in terms of lineup notes, I think Baines' status is one of the big things really worth monitoring right now. Playoff forecast: the Canucks. Now, I wasn't tracking this when I was off the show because I wasn't doing the whiteboard. Daily. They got down to fifty-eight percent. Okay, so back up to seventy-three percent chance Huge to win swing. the division. Fifteen so percent like, swing across three games. It's three not results, just basically. a cathartic emotional win for the. Huge. Canucks, it's a big one in terms of let's go win the division it, here. Honestly, they got the the swing with the Oilers dropping two consecutive in regulation. Uh, did you watch the wild game that they no. played? Oh, man, that was like a classic bad luck game. It was awesome. And then absolutely laying an egg against a Flames team without Jacob Markstrom. Like, oof, that's tough. Um, that changed the equation from, hey, if the Oilers just play really well, the Canucks could play well and still lose the division to now the Canucks are going to have to hit a real divot mm. to cough this up. Like that That's how significant those three results were in terms of a swing. Uh, and uh, they're projected now to finish with 109 points. This is, again, per Dom, Dom Lucision's model at The Athletic. Now, that's behind Winnipeg at 111, tied with Dallas at 109 for the conference standings. Of course, they do still play Winnipeg twice, including the regular season finale 
And uh, Vegas and L.A., all of a sudden, neck and neck in these projections with L.A. Yep. surging, Vegas fading. Of course, Mark Stone out for an indeterminate amount of time now. Vegas has the 24th best point percentage in the 2024 portion of the, of the calendar. So now, all of a sudden, you're looking at... This is, this is also why like we talk about them like this inevitable sleeping giant, but it's like, man, we really have not seen it. Well, I think it was in January at some point. You were on the road, and I was doing a solo show, and somebody asked, who would you rather face? first round Edmonton LA or Vegas and I said Vegas because it's like there's a possibility they're just out of gas and banged up by the time you get to April the problem the thing with Vegas is it's like they're the team you most and least want to face you know what I mean like they're the they're the team that could be the most imposing easily that's what they're they're the most volatile team in the in the entire league not just the west not just the pacific in the entire league the range of outcomes for Vegas down the stretch and going into the playoffs it is wider than it is for anybody else. We, we really have no idea who's even going to be in their lineup or who yeah. they are. And all of a sudden, very much in play for uh, to be in that 1-4 matchup in the Pacific Division. Anything to update on the betting odds? Uh, just that the line is open in the Penguins game. Canucks are minus 150 home favorites. That's like a 61% implied probability. Uh, Pacific Division odds also match the lecision odds minus 270 that's about a 73 percent um implied probability so canucks in very in a very good spot in terms of the pacific uh in a very good spot going into tomorrow's game against the penguins and now have that you know uh big simeon off their back in terms of uh that disastrous four game losing streak yeah that brief little run of weirdness (laughs) in which they dropped a few games in regulation consecutively all right we will take a break that's your whiteboard for today lots more to get into though we'll go into the text box i mean uh, it's no surprise look the patterson story it's a spicy one right now people are reacting we'll read some of your thoughts text in anything else on your mind about the canucks as well 650 650 to the dunbar lumber text line we'll be right back here on canucks talk sportsnet 650